Welcome to the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast. This podcast focuses on financial planning and investment topics. Our goal is to help you make better financial decisions. We are fierce advocates of fiduciary advice. What does fiduciary mean? It means that anyone who advises you should always put your needs first. We hope you get some value from this episode. Thanks for listening. Standard housekeeping, anything on the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast should not be considered individual financial planning or investment advice. For that, we recommend you consult your own properly registered and licensed professional. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is episode 30 of the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast. I'm Brian Beasley and with me is Dan Alberts. Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon, Brian. You know, sometimes we, as financial advisors, as, you know, Dan and I own a, along with another partner, own a wealth management firm. We do financial planning and and investment management. And we work with individuals. We work with families. In some cases, in many cases, we find ourselves working with multiple generations of families. We find ourselves having very close, personal detailed relationships with people that we work with in some cases over several decades. We're, we're fortunate to have those relationships. On the other hand, sometimes that's not as fun as you'd like because you fall in love with people and they become like family to you. And, um, in some cases, uh, when things go wrong in terms of uh, their health later in their life, it's, uh, it's challenging and it's, uh, it's emotional. And what we'd like to do in this episode is share with you now it's probably it's second hand third hand but share with you what we learned by working with a family who was going through a situation with uh, with alzheimer's in in their family and give you an idea of some of their experience and timeline and really this is meant just to i guess provide some dose of reality up front so that hopefully you have a clue what might what to expect and how and that maybe you can find some ways to deal with these things uh, better than you might have in the if you were not properly forewarned or prepared in advance so I apologize for the negativity there but so Dan do you want to lead us off with um, one family's timeline and their experience with Alzheimer's there was a family and husband and wife retired and they had multiple adult children who were all successful and dad passed away a few years ago and a mom worked on redoing and updating her wills and getting her estate planning in order and made sure to name the kids as power of attorney and, and she did all those things and and she did that right. This woman, um, she ended up having or contracting Alzheimer's. I'm not sure contracting, if that's the right word for it. Some of the early warning signs were periodic memory lapses that got more and more frequent. Conversations became circular. Uh, we talked about that a little bit in our last episode about caregiving and, and signs to look for. Uh, but the conversations, you know, over the course of an afternoon, you might find yourself 
talking about the same subjects over and over and over again. And sometimes it grew to within 10 minutes, five minutes. So over time, there was a progression and a deterioration. Uh, another uh, one that an early warning was uh, getting lost driving to local places to uh, just run errands and that sort of thing, go to church and having trouble figuring out where to go and how to get home. When these things happened, uh, one of the adult children was the power of attorney for the health care and for taking care of mom. And they started to uh, go to the doctor visits with mom to uh, get a better understanding of what was going on, uh, have con candid conversations and provide talk about observations about what was actually going on and really trying to have a back and forth conversation with the doctor to try to really figure out what was going on. And they went through a battery of tests, blood tests, cognitive tests, MRIs. Then they got the diagnosis that she has, she had Alzheimer's. It's quite clear when you take a look at the MRI because you can see the structures of the brain disintegrating. And once the diagnosis was really made, the visits and check-ins to the mother's house became much more frequent. It got to a point where you know they used to maybe check in once a week, and then it became daily at a certain point. And this is all the things we talked about in in the last episode. It's you know you're there to make sure the household is being maintained, uh, helping make sure the bills are getting paid, uh, errand running, going to the store, getting food, uh, making sure the house is safe for your parent to be there overnight. The conversation about, you know, maybe not driving anymore. That's a tough one. Um, and, you know, early on the stage, there's pushback from the patient, the parent that has this, this diagnosis because they don't want to give up their independence and they don't, there's this, this, this frustration that goes along with this a diagnosis like that. And, uh, they sometimes feel like they should be able to do it themselves. Yeah, it, and sometimes it's it's that I, I it's the ego that I don't. Gosh, I've been taking care of everybody, and I, I I can do it all by myself. And then there's also the I don't want to be a burden uh, dynamic that's in the in there. And um, you know, for sure, if you're a parent, you've grown up loving your children. You don't want to be a burden to them because you can see how busy they are in their own lives. And if you've had that conversation already about caregiving that we talked about in twenty in episode twenty nine you're well aware that it's going to be work for the kids to come in and help fill the gap uh, in this time that, where you have that need. But just be aware that's a normal thing, that that's going to happen when people are going through this process. And it's no fun, but if you can be, be prepared in advance and you know it's coming, that may help just a little bit. The family couldn't be there every day, and that got them exploring alternatives, and they ended up hiring an in-home companionship company, a company that provided that in-home care. And they started out just a couple times a week having somebody come over to spend an afternoon with mom. Then it expanded over time as the family got more comfortable with the services being provided by this outside company and also as the need for that service started to grow. 
And this company that came in and, and these caregivers, these professional caregivers, in the very beginning, it wasn't about them coming in and bathing her. It was more these folks just coming in and providing those that social interaction, which she didn't have access to because she was still living at home, mm-hmm. and she was trapped in her house and didn't get out very often. And so the, the company, those companions came in and they provided the social cues to remind her to eat her lunch and dinners and to just make sure she's taking care of herself and bathing from time to time and changing clothes and just getting ready for bed. So those are some of the things that this type of outside company can do. And it allowed the rest of the family members to do what they had to do so that they were a little bit more at ease and weren't concerned every moment of the day that, oh man, mom's just going to get up and leave and get out of the house. At least there's somebody there to make sure that mom's safe, even though, you know, mom or dad can still maybe bathe themselves, can still do the physical things. When it comes to Alzheimer's, they might forget things like eating or brushing their teeth or bathing. Yes. As things progressed with the disease, uh, the family started to worry about whether she was even sleeping at night. Uh, What was happening during those times when no one was around? Because uh, there were times when the family would come to visit and the house would be dark and mom would just be sitting there in a chair in the living room in a dark house and nothing was going on. And that no really, TV on, no nothing. nothing. She's just it sitting was, uh, Yeah, it was like walking into a house of death where they felt really, really concerned. And, and that that was one of those signs that said, hey, maybe we got to step this up. Step it up to like something that included overnight care. Yes. And the overnight care, it, it also started. Some of the other things that were going on is the kids were getting phone calls in the evenings at night, multiple times a night from mom because mom wasn't sure what she should be doing, if she should be up or not. One of the things about Alzheimer's is you kind of, you lose track of time and and time, the idea of time kind of disappears. And if you're up and awake, and even though it's two in the morning and pitch black outside, uh, the person sometimes thinks that, oh, I should be up and about doing something and I'm not. And there were also some times when uh, she had packed a bag and she was wanted to leave and get out and get away that there was something wrong. Yeah. My mom had a relative that was exactly like that. You know, she had a situation where, you know, they, they, her, her son found her in the car, in the garage, ready to go. He said, Hey, you know, where are you going? And she's, she was going somewhere she thought it was in a different decade and she was going to drop something off with, you know, drop off uh, lunch to her long deceased husband. And uh, that was the real, real obvious sign that she could no longer be alone in the home. It just wasn't safe at that stage. So it progressed from just a few times a week to overnight care for this family. And some of the physical deterioration, here's some examples Uh, mom started having trouble just getting into and out of the chairs. Uh, Unfortunately, she was in a house that had a lot of stairs throughout the house. 
she had trouble on stairs shuffling her feet created a tripping hazard and as they took her out for walks outside through the neighborhood those walks became shorter and shorter as she would became winded all the time as her uh, due to the lack of activity her body was just naturally atrophying and slowing down her her lung capacity was disintegrating uh, more naps during the days uh, trouble changing clothes and it got then as it progressed and progressed where she was having trouble just getting into and out of bed and at some point as that disease kept on progressing they reached a point where gosh we got to do something else because this caregiving just isn't getting the job done there are so many other needs that have to be taken care of and that's with those activities of daily living so a lot of people think that when you're talking about having somebody come and be a caregiver at the home that you just call one company and one company handles every single possible thing that could possibly happen for, with with that that patient the person that's needing the care and it's just not the case i mean you've got a whole variety of businesses that are out there that offer a variety of different services everything from simple companionship checking up on you how's it going that kind of thing to and did you brush your teeth to skilled nursing care in the home where and and then aside from that i, I don't even know but does skilled nursing care include bathing does it include dealing with toileting and that kind of thing is that skilled nursing or is that is there something kind of in between those there's something in between skilled nursing is really deals with vital signs, taking vital signs and uh, dispensing medication and getting into pain management. So it's conce conceivable that a family could have, be, have a need of interacting with multiple companies and having to coordinate all that can be a challenge. There's even companies that act as coordinators for those various levels of, of care. And it's just it, it's just surprising when you start getting into it because the, the areas we usually deal with are the financial things. But we hear these anecdotally, we hear these uh, through having conversations with, with our clients that, about their experiences. And it's really surprising. I mean, I haven't personally had to go through this, but it's, it's really surprising that the amount of complexity that a situation like this can bring into a family situation. And it's just, it's just something to be aware of because you think in terms of, Hey, if there's ever going to be a care need, just get this insurance and that'll, that'll take care of it. And there's this whole other layer of, it might take care of paying for it, but somebody has got to deal with the day to day and all the actual care. It's layers upon layers. One thing we learned from this family was how important it is for you to maintain a good relationship with your personal physician and that they should continue. They should be involved every step of the way. Uh, they learned that at some point, their physical bed, they had to get a hospital bed and bring in a hospital bed to better care for her. And that needed to be a, a prescribed by a doctor, which was kind of eye-opening to me. I hadn't considered that. Um, why, why is that? Does that help Medicare pay for that in some way? Or how, I, I don't know how okay. it, that works, but the doctor was able to access these resources and then the company came in and 
distribute and you know brought in this hospital bed and other resources for the family and it's also the doctor that who prescribes an interview and they they're the ones that prescribe hospice Hmm. so as you get closer and closer to end of life and as you're dealing with pain or chronic pain or other issues it's the the doctor who steps in to say hey we we've got to move into hospice care and uh, that is something that's distinct and separate from the other services that we had talked about before with that caregiving. And, uh, and once you get into a hospice situation, the, the hospice company does a really fine job with helping to coordinate with that family. And they became the, uh, in the end, they became the one single point of contact. So if anything happened or if they needed anything, uh, it was the, the hospice caregiver. And those people, the, it was the hospice provider that took care of all of the arrangements at the very end. So I hope this is a helpful conversation. It's it's not fun. If you're still listening, I mean, bless you for even listening that that you you take this seriously enough to to really think about just this topic and this situation. I mean, it's not anything that I would wish on my worst enemy that that they go through this with their parent or with their child, for that matter. But it is a fact of life that the this is a very real thing. We just hope that some of what we share just gives you at least some clarity about kind of what to expect. Because the greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. And if you have some some clue of what the process might be like, if you're if you're cursed with uh, having this kind of a diagnosis in your family, then uh, maybe at least alleviate some of that initial fear of the unknown. So if you're going through that, you know, bless you and. Um, we wish you all the best. In episode 10, we, ta- we reviewed a book called The Conversation. And the purpose of that book is to help family members approach their parents to have that conversation about long-term care and just try to broach the subject with them. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes the kids don't know how to make that step. Sometimes the parents don't know. So if you have a chance Try to listen to episode 10 to give you a little bit more insight into how to even have the conversation or how to start that conversation. Once again, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Please subscribe. Please like. Please comment. Please find us on social media. We are at Fierce Fiduciary. You can also Google Fierce Fiduciary Podcast and find us anywhere. Dan, you're at from Facebook. I'm on Facebook. At Dan Alberth. Dan dot Alberth, and I am at Brian C. Beasley on most platforms. We also participate in some Facebook groups. If you're looking to have a deeper conversation there about various things, there's a group called Investing for Beginners. And then Dan and I host a group called Investing and Financial Planning that provides some educational and learning material. So once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>